Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, we're talking all things birth control, like how do you choose one that's right for you? What are the side effects? And who should be thinking about using contraception? I also share my interview with Dallas Barnes, the founder and CEO of Rhea Health. Dallas and I talk about our journeys of trial and error with different types of birth control and answer your questions about hormonal versus non-hormonal methods and how to talk to your doctor about contraception. That conversation shouldn't be as hard as it is, so we're going to give you some tips to help you on the way. But first, today in sex. I'm not going to lie, we're starting with a bit of a doozy today. In Texas, there is now an abortion ban which makes it illegal for people to access abortions after six weeks when a fetal heartbeat can be detected. Before I play this news clip about the controversial law is that many folks, they don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks and there are no exceptions made for sexual assault and incest. As of today, a far-reaching controversial abortion law goes into effect in the state of Texas. Megan Fitzpatrick has the details. The law requires doctors to check for a fetal heartbeat, and if one is detected, they're not allowed to provide an abortion. Generally, heartbeats can be detected as early as six weeks, which is before a woman might even know she's pregnant. There's no exceptions made for rape or incest. An exception can be made in a medical emergency. The twist with this law is that it allows private citizens to sue anyone who helps someone obtain an abortion. That could be the taxi driver who brings someone to a clinic, someone who helped pay for the procedure, the doctor who performed it. The person suing doesn't have to have a personal connection to the person getting the abortion. And if they win, the person they sued could have to pay them $10,000. Because of how this law is designed, it's harder for opponents of it to challenge it in court because it's not the state enforcing the law. It's essentially left up to individuals. Other states have been trying recently to limit access to abortion. They've been blocked by federal courts, but this Texas one so far, it's succeeding. And for those opposed to it, there's fear this law could be copied in other states. Megan Fitzpatrick, CBC News, Washington. This is a direct attack on reproductive justice and people's choice about their own bodies. We know that when abortions are banned, people die. Folks who don't have safe access to abortions are forced to make dangerous decisions about their health, from the best case scenario of having to travel out of state to access an abortion, or at the worst, risking their lives. And this policing of other people's choices, even when they have no personal connection whatsoever, this is appalling, and it could clog up an already overwhelmed legal system. I also want to note that the typical person who accesses an abortion in Canada and the U.S. is a cisgender woman in her 30s who is married and already has children. Now, this surprises a lot of folks because we've created abortions as something that only certain people, bunny ears of course, do. And this demonizing of people's choices about their bodies, it sets a dangerous precedent for other places to follow suit. And I know that this is a really dark way to start today's show, but if we're going to talk about contraception, we also need to talk about abortion. When life begins means something different for each of us based on our own beliefs. But even if someone is opposed to abortion, it is still their right to access an abortion. And they shouldn't have to justify that choice to someone else, and much less the nosy neighbor who's trying to be the morality police and make a quick 10000 bucks. And now, let's get to your calls. 
Hi, Leah. Uh, greetings from Utrecht in the Netherlands. Um, I have this question about my cycle and I hope you can help me out. Um, there's a lot known about hormonal levels and how this affects your mood with a natural menstrual cycle. But I'm very curious what happens to your hormonal levels when you're on a contraceptive. Um, I could find this really old article, but I think it's from 1996, which theoretically predicts the levels of estrogen and progesterone when you're on an OC. Um, and it says that the influence of an oral contraceptive is that your estrogen and progesterone levels are a flat line during your whole cycle. So they're on a very low level. Um, well, I find this very strange because I'm on an oral contraceptive and I do experience um, yeah, different moods during my whole three weeks I'm on this OC and the one week I uh, have my stop week and I'm off um, my contraceptive. And I wonder how this can be possible if my hormonal levels would be the same during the whole four weeks of my cycle. So I'm very curious about what happens when you're on oral contraceptive and maybe other, other contraceptives as well. And I hope you can help me out with this, uh, this question. Hope to hear from you. Thank you. I want to say that I'm not an expert on hormonal health, but it's very understandable that you are experiencing different moods while you're on the pill. Now, your hormones are not flatlined, but depending on the pill that you're taking, the hormones in the pill are stopping your body from ovulating. So let's break down how the pill works first, and then we'll get into the hormone health aspects. So the pill that I'm going to talk about is a combination, meaning that it has estrogen and progestin in it, since this is the most common form. I want you to know there are also progestin-only pills, and this is a conversation that you should have with a healthcare provider or a doctor to find out what type of pill might work best for you. Now, pills are effective on the body with uteruses because it stops ovulation by stopping the egg from being released. They're swallowed in the mouth every day, and what happens is it goes into the stomach, and the hormones estrogen and progestin go into the bloodstream. Just a quick note, progesterone is what is produced naturally in the body, and progestin is a synthetically created hormone, but the terms are often used interchangeably, just so you know. So in a menstrual cycle, the low levels of estrogen just after menstruation, they trigger the pituitary gland to produce follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH which stimulates a process of ovulation. So when someone with the uterus starts taking the pill, their estrogen levels are pushed high. And this high level of estrogen inhibits FSH production, and the message to ovulate is never sent out. The high level of progesterone also inhibits luteinizing hormone production, further preventing ovulation. So these two hormones are working in tandem to raise the level of hormones in your body so that the message to ovulate is never sent to your body. Now, the pills need to be taken every day because the amount of hormones in each pill is actually pretty minimal. It's a lot better than it was when it was first created in the 1960s. Now, one week of each pack of pills is a placebo or sugar pills. This is to mimic the natural cycle of having your period, but it's not actually a full period. We call it a withdrawal instead of a period itself because your body isn't actually ovulating and it's just a little bit of uterine lining that has built up and then is released. Now, it's totally up to you whether you take the sugar pills or you continue with a new pack by skipping that week. I want you to know that the four weeks of the pills, they actually exist because of marketing to mimic a natural cycle. And essentially, this was to appease the Pope and the Catholic Church. There's actually a great article called, What Does the Pope Have to Do with Birth Control Pills? 
And it explains how when the birth control pill was first created, the scientist who made it was Catholic and really wanted the sign off from the Pope and the church that this was something they condoned. They thought that by having one week of sugar pills for folks with uteruses to have a withdrawal bleed, typically a much smaller amount than an actual period, that it would seem more natural and therefore not be seen as a sin. Well, unfortunately, the Pope didn't agree, but there's still this hangover of like Catholic guilt that keeps a sugar pill in our birth control packs. So you can continue to take the pill that has hormones in it and skip that sugar pill week. And this is called extended use. Now, a lot of folks ask if there is a limit to extended use. And the short answer is no. If spotting does occur, then there has been a breach of the uterine lining and you can start taking sugar pills to release that withdrawal. Otherwise, you can keep using it safely, but again, this is a conversation to have with a doctor or healthcare provider. Now, getting back to the hormone health, now that we understand how the pill works. There's a great research article from 2016 called Combined Hormonal Contraception and Its Effect on Mood, a Critical Review. And what this does is it looks at research on this combined hormonal contraception, meaning it has both estrogen and progestin, from the last 30 years to look at the impact that it's had. Now, while there definitely hasn't been enough research done on the topic itself, here was one piece of info that I think is the most relevant. So specific hormonal components of this type of birth control likely have little effect on mood changes, as differences in dosing of estrogen at the low doses currently prescribed does not appear to affect the mood side effects, it's unlikely that the estrogen component is to be blamed. While different progestins share similar effects in most studies, it appears that progestin with lower androgenicity have more beneficial psychological effects. Overall, that means that there's a small percentage of folks on the pill who experience moodiness, but your hormone levels, they definitely change while on the pill, and it's not just a flat line. And now from this article, it sounds like progestin has more of an impact on moods than estrogen, but again, that varies from person to person. Now, especially if you take the sugar pill or placebo week, your hormone levels go back to their original state and your body starts to prepare for ovulation. And when you go back on the pill that week, we're basically tricking our bodies with higher levels of estrogen to prevent ovulation from occurring. So it's very reasonable that you can feel a difference when you go from active hormonal pills to the sugar pill week. It can also make a difference for if you take the pill first thing in the morning, your hormone levels will drop by the end of the day. Again, it's not a huge amount of hormones that are in each pill, but just enough to ensure that your body doesn't start ovulating. That's why it's really important to take the pill at the same time each day or as close as you can to it. Now, you can also try extended use where you skip the sugar pill week, and you may find that that steady dosage of hormones causes less of a change in your mood and hormone levels. Now, I've left two really great articles in the episode description, including the research article I cite, and another one called, Does the Pill Really Cause Mood Swings?, but again, I would really highly recommend talking to a healthcare provider if it becomes an issue or something you are concerned about. Also, I want everyone to know I post the links to all of the resources I use on the podcast at my website at www.leatidy.com. Let's take another call. Hey, Leah, I'm struggling right now because I feel like I can't find a kind of birth control that works for me, and it's been difficult to find a solution with my doctor because I'm feeling kind of a lack of empathy there at the moment. Um, but basically, due to some recent health changes with me, I've been told I can no longer be on the birth control pill that I've been on for years that's been really great for me, and so for that's any birth control that is combined estrogen and progesterone. But in my look for other options, I've just 
been feeling like I've struggled with acne, various types of it for a number of years, and I've recently finished a course of Accutane that's finally gotten things under control, but because of that, I'm worried about non-combination hormonal birth control because of that past experience with acne and not wanting that to be something that flares up again. Um, but I also find that I would like to have a kind of birth control that I feel like I could pair with condoms when I feel like I need the extra security or where I don't have to use the condom. So I'm just wondering if I have, you know, sort of run through all of my available options, if I'm going to have to compromise with one of these options that I do have, either an IUD or an implant with that acne risk, or if I'll just have to, to use condoms or if there's anything else out there that I could, could look into. So thanks so much. I'm going to preface this by saying that I am not a medical doctor, and my advice is based on my own research and my work as a sexual health educator. But as you say, caller, you're not really feeling the empathy from your doctor, and I'm really sorry to hear that. Hopefully this will help answer some of your questions, and I know that my conversation with Dallas will offer some really useful advice on how to talk to your doctor about birth control options. So it sounds like you were using a combined estrogen and progestin pill, like the previous caller. Now, it sucks that you found an option that worked great for you and now have to switch, but there are more options for you to investigate. Now, the first one that you mention and sound maybe not quite stoked about is the intrauterine device or IUD. Now, there are two different types of IUD, and while both are considered barrier methods, there are some important differences. First, IUDs are the safest, most effective method of birth control on the planet. And we need to educate more people about IUDs because it comes down to social justice and accessibility. So IUDs are immediately reversible and they come out in a second. This is why they're called Long-Acting Reversible Contraception, or LARC for short. So the copper IUD does not prevent ovulation. Instead, the copper ions in the IUD, they kill or disrupt sperm, hence making it a barrier method. So it basically makes the uterus an inhospitable place for an egg. Also, what's really interesting about both types of IUDs is that the arms of the IUD touch the sides of the uterus and disrupts the lining from developing. The copper IUD is also an ancient form of birth control that is very safe to use and is 99.2% effective. And because it doesn't prevent ovulation, some folks can experience heavier periods. Now, IUDs need to be implanted by a clinician, and folks who have had an IUD inserted rate the pain at about a 5 out of 10, uh, which is what most people can tolerate for a short period of time. And a lot of youth clinics can offer them for free, so really highly recommend getting in touch with clinics close to you and see what options they have available. Now, the hormonal IUD, which is still a barrier method and not a hormonal method of birth control, let me tell you why. So the tube of the IUD, it slow releases progestin into the uterus. This progestin thickens the fluid of the cervix and makes a physical barrier to sperm. Now it doesn't prevent ovulation like other hormonal methods like the pill that we've talked about, but it uses hormones to create a barrier. And the hormonal IUD is 99.8% effective. It's safe and reversible. Now, there are lots of reasons to choose different methods, but I think it's really important to know the effectiveness of the methods that we choose so we can make an informed decision. Now, either type of IUD might be a good fit because if estrogen is issue for your health, well, neither of them have estrogen in them. But as you said, you've just come off of a round of Accutane and the hormonal IUD has been known to increase acne for some of its users. I know this firsthand, and after some trial and error, was able to get a prescription of Tactu Pump Forte, which has really helped clear up my skin. 
I will say that with my first IUD, this was not an issue at all, and it only arose when I got my second IUD when I was in my mid-20s. Now, this can be harsh on our faces to constantly be trying different acne creams, and we need to choose whether or not we want to continue with those. Now, I haven't heard of this same issue occurring with a copper IUD, but typically folks can experience heavier periods on the copper IUD. Now, Dallas and I also talk about the arm implant, Nexplanon, that became available in Canada last year, and it's also a really fantastic LARC option. It also uses progestin and works in a very similar way to a hormonal IUD. I also want to recognize there is a lot of fear about IUDs, particularly around fertility. Now, these are unfounded concerns based on myths and misconceptions. And so just to address that, I've left a link to a research article about what those fears are and why they are unfounded. Now, the other method that I will recommend is Fertility Awareness Method, or FAM. I don't have personal experience with FAM, but there are a lot of folks who swear by it. There are apps and educators out there who can help you navigate that process because it is a process, a process of learning and being in tune with your cycle. And some people, as you hear Dallas talk about, it can actually cause a lot of anxiety as you're learning how to use this method. I really recommend checking out at Fertility Awareness Project on Instagram for more info. Now, caller, these are just a few of the options that are available to you, and I hope that by talking about IUDs and the arm implant more openly, we can kind of address those fears and think about how that might be a good option for you and your body. Of course, that is always your choice and you get to decide, but I highly recommend doing your own research and figuring out what do you think is going to work best. I also want to let people know that I received over a hundred questions on my Instagram stories about all of the things that you want to know about birth control. Now, Dallas and I answer quite a few of these questions in our interview, but I realized there was no way that I could answer all of them in an hour long podcast. So I am putting together an online contraception workshop so I can go through the many birth control options that are available and answer your questions live. Now, I'll be sharing more about dates and how to book a spot on my Instagram and website, so check it out if you're interested. And just a note that if you aren't following me on Instagram, you are missing out on some great stuff that I post there, so check it out at dr.leahtidy. Thank you so much for your questions, and I'm going to briefly share a review of the show before we get into my interview with Dallas. This is from Jules Marquis via Apple Podcasts. And the title is Amazing Sexual Health Resource and give the podcast five stars. They say, thank you so much for this podcast, Leah. It's helped me think much more deeply about love, sex, gender, boundaries, and so much more. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to expand my knowledge on these topics and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Jules. I'm grateful that you are learning so much and I really appreciate you taking the time to write a review. If you are a fan of the podcast, think about sharing it with your friends or writing a review because those things really help it grow. And now, my interview with Dallas Barnes. Hi, Dallas. Uh, How how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here and chatting with you. Thank you so much. So let's just dive right into it because there's so many questions I have for you that listeners have for you. So maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, just some of your own contraception journey. For sure. So I am the founder of Rhea Health and Rhea is a digital platform for contraceptive counseling, family planning and birth control tracking and use. 
And this was inspired from really my own experience with birth control and just feeling very alone, isolated and confused throughout the process of trying to navigate all of the options and figure out which one works, worked with my body. I started my birth control journey about, you know, late high school, 16, 17, and I went on the pill. You know, you hear your friends going on the pill, maybe for uh, period management or acne, and I was, you know, starting to be sexually active. So I knew, you know, the right thing to do is go on birth control. There's the pill and there's condoms. So <laughs> go to my doctor and, you know, ask for a pill and he wrote me a prescription and it was handed to me so casually that I really can't tell you the brand name that I used when I first tried it. Um, within the first few months, I started to gain weight and my body started changing in ways that I just wasn't comfortable with. And as a young 17-year-old, it also was jarring and took a bit of a toll on my self-esteem and I decided to stop taking it. And that was, you know, a decision that I made. And throughout the next few years, I went on a few different pill options and they all just ended up making me feel very unlike myself. And <laughs> I fast forward, I'm now in university and I'm trying different options, different ideas and um, use condoms here and there. And I ended up trying the fertility awareness method. And at that point, I wasn't using any tools or any apps or anything like that, but I was just trying to track my cycle on my own. And this caused so much, I don't know what you would call it, like pregnancy paranoia or like accuracy anxiety that I was just like stressed <laughs> the whole time. So that option didn't work. And I just wasn't confident in it. I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. And I didn't know that there were any um, tools out there to assist me in this process. So I ended up getting an IUD because I heard my friends just loved their IUD. There's like this IUD bliss, you know, no periods, like you don't have to think about it. And I'm like, that sounds fantastic. Get the IUD and instant pain and constant bleeding it was like a full, heavy period bleed every day for months. I started to develop chronic ovarian cysts that were so painful. I was admitted to the hospital. I had to receive a doctor's note that it, um, excused me from classes when I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, the pain started to interfere with my social life and my sex life, ironically. <laughs> and I wasn't on any insurance plan, so I was quite stubborn and I left it in probably a lot longer than I should have. And ultimately I about five or six months in, I made the decision like this just isn't worth it. Um, my body is clearly trying to tell me something and I wanted to give it that window to adjust and see if it, you know, got used to the IUDs. And it was clear that my body was just not mixing well with it. And it didn't like it and I needed to listen to that. So I decided to remove the IUD and almost immediately my body took like the sigh of relief and I haven't had assistance. Um, the discomfort went away. My cycle returned to a regular rhythm and I was frustrated. 
I was like, this is insane. I still need an option that I like and that I feel comfortable with. I've tried like four different pill options at this point. I tried some non-hormonal things. I've tried the IUD. I just felt at a loss. I ended up researching and taking a few months and really diving deep into scholarly journals, clinical articles, all that I could read about birth control and about my body and how those two can work together and why they're not working together right now. And I really wanted to understand that and have this knowledge. And throughout that process, I ended up finding an option that I thought could work well for me. And I went to my doctor, asked for it. He gave it to me pretty easily. And that option was the best hormonal birth control that I have ever been on. I felt totally like myself. And I that experience was so empowering to me and really refreshing. Like I felt prepared. I felt, you know, informed that this information was mine and like mine only and going to ask for it. And that was, that was validating in itself. Well, it's so exciting, like you're saying, to be able to go into that doctor's office with that research and to feel like I've looked into it. And I think this is the best option for me. But what's hard about that too is like half of me is like, yes, amazing. I'm so glad. And the other half is like, it took how many years of struggling with things that weren't right for you, struggling with pain, trying to minimize it, manage it. And it took months of your own research and time to figure out what was, what was best for you. That, that seems bananas to me that, you know, something that I think is, is a right to have reproductive control of our bodies, to have for reproductive justice, to have to go through that much of a process. So was that the instigator of like why you wanted to start Rhea? Cause you're like, okay, this can't be the experience for everyone. A hundred percent. And you said it exactly like this should not be. People should not have to spend years trying a bunch of different options and messing with their hormones and their cycles, you know, inappropriately, and then having to do months of research to find an option that they feel confident in. I took a step back after, you know, being on this option and feeling good about it and feeling excited that I took my health into my own hands. And I thought, you know, if this problem goes beyond me. I've heard in passing some people having issues with birth control, but it just wasn't talked about enough. But if we could see a world where people feel informed and feel prepared going into this decision-making process and then choose an option for themselves and get it right the first time, like I had to be a part of that. And I really wanted to take my own experience of feeling confident in my birth control journey and share that with other people. And that was sort of the birth, if you will, of <laughs> Raya. <laughs> it has, you know, changed from like the initial idea quite a bit, but we've now, you know, nailed down this idea that everyone's birth control journey and family planning and sexual health experience is so unique. We all know that everybody is different in their own ways and that's beautiful and that needs to be celebrated. And the way in which we approach our birth control search needs to reflect that. We need to pay attention to the details, pay attention to the ways in which my story is different from your story and lean into that. I think it's really important that people ask themselves questions 
and really lay out their preferences and their boundaries when it comes to birth control in order to choose an option, hormonal and non-hormonal. So that's what our aim and our goal is with Rhea is to really hold people's hands throughout that process and meet them where they're at and ensure that they have information and resources that are specific to them. You know, there's a lot of information online. It's like, here's the IUD, here's the pill, here's the ring, which is great. But I know from my own experience, it was like, okay, (laughs) but how is that? How does that make sense for me and my life? Would that mix with my lifestyle? I don't know. I was never trained in this. So I had to figure that out. And I think people really appreciate having that guidance throughout this process because there is so much information out there and it's hard to decipher what is relevant for them. You touch on so many things that as a sexual health educator, I find so hard to navigate because I think so often people want to say, what is the best birth control? And just like, give me the answer. And I was like, well, the whole point is that it's an individual thing. Like you said, your lifestyle, like if you're someone who doesn't have a regular routine, taking a pill every day is probably not a great option for you because you won't remember to do it and then it won't be as effective. And so I always struggle with that. And I think what's hard as well is that people will always ask me, like, what are you on? Because they're like, oh, well, if Leah's on it, then it's probably good. I'm like, okay, it's it's what has been working for my body. But obviously, it's going to be very different for everyone else. So I completed the like Rhea questionnaire, I got my results. And I just really appreciated how thorough the questions were. And they were things even now, I'm almost 30. This is literally my career where I talk about sexual health. And I had not asked myself those questions of like, what are my values right now? Like what, what is going to work best with me and align with all of those things in my life? Because when I first got, and folks who are listening, a lot of them have heard me talk about the fact that I have an IUD before. When I first got it, when I was 19, that was just like the best option. And I was super lucky that it worked for me. Not to mention the, uh, I mean, there were many years before that where I tried many options that were not great for me. But it, I didn't actually take the time to think about how that was going to fit into my life. So talk to me a bit about, you know, when you were creating the questionnaire and the results, like why was it important to have that thorough of questions for people who are going through this process? That's such a great question. We really wanted to get as comprehensive as we could to paint a really thorough picture about the individuals that come and use our platform. Um, like we have been talking about, you know, everyone's situation is so unique and it plays a huge role into this decision making process. So we really wanted to be able to cover all of the bases. Um, and make sure that there is space for people to share a little bit more than what we ask, because I, I find, you know, that's where you get that really good quality information. And also I find in the traditional contraceptive counseling process, when you go to your doctor, your doctor's really busy. You know, they may have a full waiting room and they may only have 10 minutes with you. And that's just really not enough time to go up through all of the options go through, you know, what you should be prepared for, all of these things, let alone have a conversation about how does this make you feel? And like, you know, how have your past relationships, what has your experience been with birth control in the past? And I think those things are really telling and moving forward along this path for people. So 
our intake process, so it's a questionnaire that asks individuals questions about their medical history, their hormonal profile, the menstrual cycle, preferences, boundaries, all of these things that give us a really comprehensive understanding of where they're coming from. And this was developed by a group of medical professionals that weighed in and contributed. So we had a team of OBGYN, a couple of medical doctors and a naturopath worked on this as well because we really wanted to give it, you know, that full perspective. So our system then takes that information and presents one to three birth control options that could work really well for the individual and explains why that is. So what in their profile led our system to suggest one of those options? What should they be prepared for? And really making it all about the individual and like touching on things that they maybe flagged that's important to them and explaining how these options match it or they don't. We are here to provide that information that is curated and personalized for that individual. Yeah, thank you for going through the process. I think this will add a lot of, you know, more <laughs> meat to the conversation. I'm really excited. Yeah, no, and I think it's it's one of those things too where as the the podcast and and my Instagram grows, I get bombarded by multiple different companies being like, I sell this or I do this. And I'm very particular on who I'm going to talk to and how I'm going to support it. And, and so it was really important for me to go through that process because I'm not, I really want to build that transparency and trust with the people that, you know, I'm sharing information with. So I was so glad that you were like, yeah, please do it. Tell us what you think. You know, let's talk about this process because I legitimately think it's a, it's a service that so many of us need. And clearly based on the amount of questions that I've received from folks, like not only I put out an Instagram story asking people for their questions and received well over a hundred questions about birth control, about what their options are. They're like, oh, I just feel like there's so much conflicting information online. Like that phrase itself was repeated again and again. And me as an individual, there's not enough that I can do as a sex educator to reach everyone. So when there's something that people can go to, and I think in particular, what I loved when I got the, uh, when I got my array of results was you had, what are my next steps? You know, here are some resources and links that you can go to. And here are the tips that you can talk to your doctor about. So talk to me about like those steps as well. Cause it's not only like I received, you know, information on like the top three, here are some birth control methods that might work best for you based on what we know. But you took that next step of moving forward. What do we do? How do we talk to the doctor? So like, how, how was that process for you and putting that together? And why was that an important part of that? So with Rhea, our ultimate goal is to be the go-to platform for everything birth control and sexual health. And that goes beyond finding a birth control that you like or being matched to a birth control option. Um, we want to help bridge the gap in access and, you know, these conversations. And right now we are still a pretty small company. We have limited resources. So I wanted to be able to provide some sort of value after we give people their results that they can use in a tangible way. So at this stage, we don't have the capacity to prescribe or to offer birth control to our, our users. So that is a gap that we are trying to fill. And a way in which we do that is to 
point people in the direction of other places where they can access birth control or more information, as well as, you know, having this conversation with their medical professional. I think oftentimes, especially if you're just starting out on birth control or you're switching, it can be intimidating conversation sometimes. Or for me, from my own experience, like I would go to these doctor's visits and I knew I wanted birth control, but I didn't really know what that meant. Like I didn't know what questions I should be asking or how it could influence my body or how to have a focused conversation in those visits. So we want to be able to provide people with tangible examples on how they can direct those conversations in a way that, you know, is communicative and keeps those lines of conversation open in between them and their medical professional. Um, that's something that's really important to me to be able to deliver and something that I'm really excited to continue to work on and develop those features um, going forward and make them, you know, more comprehensive and yeah, continue to add to that. Absolutely. And that was actually one of the questions that came up too is, you know, how do I then talk to my doctor? And it was great because you give examples of like, here's exactly how you could say it. And and I think that's just so great because sometimes that's just what you want. You're like, you know, I'm thinking about insert birth control option. What do you think? And I also think that as a healthcare provider, as a doctor, how nice it is to, like you said, to have that focused conversation. Because if someone says, I'm thinking of going on birth control, that's a huge conversation. As we're seeing today, we're not, we're, we are just like scratching the surface, right? Cause there's so much. And I don't know, like I, I, I can't imagine if someone says, what's the best birth control option for me? Like me in my own capacity, I'm like, oh, how much time do you have? Cause <laughs> this is a big, big question. So what what I wanted to ask you as well, so before we get into all of these different questions that different followers and listeners have sent to me, is, you know, what are some some common myths that you've heard about contraception? Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know there's so many. <laughs> um, one actually that I was having a conversation with a friend recently, she was in a situation where she needed plan B. And she was asking me questions about it. And I should actually preface this conversation by saying that I am not a medical professional and everything that I do share is based off of what I've learned and research and evidence that we have used to create Raya and just from my own personal experience. So by all means, have a conversation with your own doctor and definitely, definitely do your own research and look into things. But my friend and I were having this conversation around plan B and she was like, well, I've already taken it a couple of times and I hear the more you take it, like the more it impacts your fertility and the less that it's effective. And I'm like, who told you that? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, this is so problematic. So plan B is an emergency contraceptive that people can take if they've found themselves in a situation of, you know, unprotected sex or in a situation where they have a higher risk of getting pregnant and it's best used within, you know, 72 hours of that situation. And it does not, <laughs> the more you take plan B, if you take it, you know, once, five times, however many times, it does not decrease the effectiveness of the contraception. However, I will say if you are finding yourself, you know, having to use plan B, frequently. And if it's your go-to option, it's probably time to have, you know, 
that heart to heart conversation with yourself and think about <laughs> a different means. They do say, you know, if you're using it more, then you are just at a higher risk of pregnancy because you have been in these situations more often. So there is that piece. But I thought that was a very interesting myth. Yeah. Well, there's so much like morality and shame that's wrapped up in that, right? And it's like, no, no, like this is, it is as safe to take plan B as it is to take a Tylenol. Like it is as safe for your body. And the the whole point is too, it's not going to change. It's really, and it really depends too, like you said, within 72 hours of having that unprotected sex. And it's just trying to stop ovulation from happening. That's all it's trying to do. And so if you're not in, like if ovulation's already occurred, that sucks for you because that then it doesn't really work. But like you said, it's less about the morality piece. It's like, no, we should have this effective. But the real point is it would be more cost effective to have something that was your regular form of birth control and not having to take plan B. It's expensive. And unfortunately, if you go to a pharmacy and you do, and people listening, you do not need a prescription to get plan B. You can go to the pharmacy and they will give it to you. It's an over-counter medication. And I feel like a lot of people are like, I don't want to have to talk to my doctor about it. I'm like, you don't have to. Just go. Any pharmacy. And they should not give you any grief for getting it. Probably some will, which sucks, but they shouldn't give you any grief for getting it. Because again, it's as safe as a Tylenol. That is such a huge, oh, you've, you've, oh, you've triggered so many things for me that I'm like, oh, it's so important for people to know. We have a whole podcast episode just on emergency contraception. <laughs> oh, I will also do a brief aside where the copper IUD is also an excellent form of emergency contraception. I love that you brought this up. I was going to do the same. <laughs> That's like my favorite little plug about the copper IUD. It like starts working immediately. Yeah, it's great. It's non-hormonal. Great. Yeah. Emergency yeah. contraception there. Absolutely. And talk about cost effective. Most places I think you can get it for $80 and it's good for five years. It ends up being about 16 bucks a year. And some places, depending on where you are, what clinic you have access to, then you someplace you can get it for free as well. So it's an excellent option. So yeah, both of us are just throwing that little tidbit in there like <laughs> copper IUDs where it's at. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do some of these like rapid fire questions from listeners. Okay, so don't worry if there's some that you're like, oh, that's a larger conversation. Just say, here's a brief answer. And then like, don't worry, because it's bananas how many people have questions. The one that came up a lot was hormonal versus non-hormonal options. And of course, there's so many different options, but what's kind of the main thing when you're talking to people about it, when they're trying to even just narrow it down between those two options, what's some information you want people to know? Yeah, I think the main distinguishing factor is one, hormonal basically prevents ovulation and it interferes with the natural receptors of your you know, hormonal profile in your body. And by doing so, this prevents pregnancy. So you technically will not have your regular period. It will be more of a withdrawal bleed. Whereas the non-hormonal, they're generally either barrier methods. So this intercepts sperm from touching the cervix and these tracking cycles. So having this level of awareness of whether, you know, when basically when you're fertile. So a point within your cycle that you are at 
high risk of becoming pregnant and either avoiding sex those days or taking extra, extra precaution. Um, and this can be done by obviously tracking your cycle, tracking that, and that works best with people who have more of a regular cycle, as well as your basal body temperature. Um, and then you can take some LH tests. And I believe there's another way. I'm just blanking right now. There's three, but <laughs> oh, no, that was three. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. That's great. Oh, and the the one like tidbit that I want to throw in there, because I know there's a lot of misconceptions around it, is that the hormonal IUD, despite being called hormonal, is actually a barrier method in how it like works and how the hormones themselves work. Because as you said, hormonal methods actually stop ovulation from occurring. And if you're on a hormonal IUD, that's not actually what's happening. You're still having that cycle but the progestin that's in it is creating a physical barrier with the cervical mucus that like stops sperm. My mind was blown when I found that out. And I was like, I have a hormonal IUD and I didn't know this. Like, thought that was very cool. Yeah. Thank you for making that distinction. The other thing that people are really concerned about, understandably, is side effects. So what are some common side effects that you've heard of and how is that important, especially in terms of Rhea and how it offers to like track those? I love this question so much. Side effects are, it's one of those annoying things that it's like, it depends. Yeah. You and I, Leah, we could try the same birth control option and have two totally different experiences. Like I might experience weight gain and you might experience acne or I might experience no side effects and you might, you know, have a hell of a time. <laughs> and this is when it really is super important to have conversations beforehand, go through these processes of really individualizing this decision making for yourself. But like across the board, generally with hormonal contraception, common side effects are acne, maybe mood changes, um, changes in your sexual habits, that being, you know, your sexual desire, um, how often a person, a Volvo owner gets wet or that arousal piece and people just feeling, I get the, I, when talking to people, they're like, I couldn't place it. I just felt blah. And I'm like, that's fair. And that's totally valid. Um, we could get into a lot of science here, but, um, sometimes the, you know, when you're on hormonal birth control, it can suppress your hormones in different ways that, change the ways that you basically respond to either whether it be stress or excitement. So you might find yourself just feeling very like stable or unexcitable, <laughs> if you will. Um, actually, one of my favorite books is by uh, Sarah Hill. It's called Your Brain on Birth Control. Mm -hmm. And everyone everywhere needs to read this book. It like was the best. Sorry, I'm losing track of your question. <laughs> no, that's totally, it was a big question too. The side effects, you've mainly talked about hormonal ones. And so like non-hormonal ones are, is, is there like a correlation between like less side effects? Is that something you hear or? So with non-hormonal options, there are definitely a list of side effects with those options. You won't get the hormonal related side effects. Like I was just speaking about, but they come with other issues in the sense that someone might feel more anxious on those because it doesn't have as high of an effective rate. Um, you know, condoms and fertility awareness method, they are, they do have a really great effectiveness 
However, when they're used perfectly, and oftentimes, you know, nobody's perfect. So for me and myself, like that was a huge side effect. Like I was just paranoid all the time. Yeah. That's great. Uh, this one is is slightly more personal, and maybe we can both give a bit of our uh, perspective on it, because I think there's a lot of fear around IUDs and especially insertion. So one of the questions was, you know, what does it feel like having an IUD in and does it hurt? And then one, oh, that just like, it just like got me to the core. They said, I'm really scared the IUD will cut my uterus up for some reason or that it'll stab me. So I don't know if you want me to go first, talk about my IUD insertion process, or are you happy to go first? I'll take it away. Yeah. Um, first, it, it the IUD will not cut up your uterus. It, it won't uh, stab you. I think sometimes uh, people he- have a bit of fear because of the strings that are like coming out of the cervix that you can feel in the vagina. And some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid I'm going to like stab my partner's fingers or their penis or something with it. That can be a little uncomfortable, but you can just tuck them out of the way. Speaking from personal experience, it's not not that big of a deal. I won't say that it was the most comfortable experience of my life. Most often, and studies have shown us that most people would rate it on on a scale from 1 to 10, in terms of 10 being like the most painful thing they've ever experienced. It's about a 5. So it's uncomfortable. And again, for some people, that's just an average. So it could go up and down either way. For me, it was uncomfortable. I spent the rest of the day with a hot water bottle you know, over my tummy. But otherwise, you know, starting the next day, it was fine for me. But like we've said before, like you were talking about your experience with the IUD. What a vastly different thing. I've been on mine. This is my second one. I've been on IUD for 10 years. Wonderful, other than a few acne side effects. But for you, what what did it feel like having it in? And did it hurt the insertion process itself? Yeah. And People's pain tolerance is varying, so, so varying. I feel like I'm like the biggest baby when it comes to pain. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, my data points are probably that skewed one. Um, but for me, the insertion process was very painful and I wasn't prepared for it. You know, as you say, your friends are like, oh, it's just like a period cramp. It's like a little pinch. For me, I got like hot, sweaty, like did very uncomfortable, very painful for me. And then that just continued. I had constant cramps. I was in constant pain. I bled a lot. And then, you know, further again, we can, as I mentioned, develop cysts and other issues came up because of uh, this device and just did not work well with my body. And that's okay. And, you know, I learned and and I wouldn't have known if I didn't try it. You know, you can get close and I can like play around with how, what my tolerances might be to these things. And this was a concept that I didn't have back then. So I definitely had the IUD way longer than I should have. But Mm -hmm. I don't think people should be afraid by that process Um, and, you know, understand your comfort levels going into it. And maybe that's just something that you are not interested in and you don't want to try getting going through that insertion process. And that's fine. Yeah, there's a there's a few things I want to pick up on that where I think it's, it's so important, you know, in in I think both of our work, like that transparency and that education piece of being like, we've done a lot of our own research and now go out and feel empowered to to do your own people who are listening. But I will say in terms of the IUD, 
that in terms of the birth control options that we do have available right now, it is the safest form of birth control we have, and it is the most effective because there's no uh, user error. You're not going to forget to take the pill or put the condom on improperly. It's inserted, and then it's there, and it's 99.9% effective, which for me was like a huge relief. So you can't really even quantify that that mental aspect of being like, this is something I no longer have to worry about. Still have to worry about STIs. We, we can talk about that, but not so much about the pregnancy piece. I will say too that the insertion process in regards to pain, but also when it comes to trauma, for some people, it can be really hard to feel comfortable to have a doctor or healthcare provider insert something into the cervix, be around the vulva, touching the vulva. So the newest option that's, that's, it was only approved in Canada last year, which seems bananas to me. But uh, Nexplanon, the the arm insertion, that can be a great option as well. Similar kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure it's good for three years, so not quite as long of a commitment. So that's something that, again, some places will have. It's slowly getting more more open to it, but uh, is a great option. People are thinking about an IED, but maybe are concerned about that or are survivors of sexual trauma. The Nexplanon, the arm rod might be a really good option for you. Thank you so much for bringing that conversation up. It's such an important piece that often is overlooked and it's people's experiences that are very real and need to be respected. Yeah, the implant, it's a great option. It's been approved and widely available in over a hundred countries for decades now. Um, Canada's just jumping onto the bandwagon. So very happy to have more options available to us up here. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> uh, and for American listeners, a lot of American listeners, it's been available in the U.S. for years, so it's much more widely available. And hopefully, Canada, it's 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 getting there. So I heard somebody saying here, even on Vancouver Island, in a smaller community, they had it at their at their clinic. So I was like, excellent, it's it's getting there. Which actually, the next question is really interesting: is about who should use birth control? Like, who should be thinking about it and using it? Everyone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the short answer. Um, But I think this is, I love this conversation so much. I really try and push my friends, push in my own relationships to have conversations with your partner, no matter how they identify. I think birth control, we actually just did a blog, Birth Control from the Queer Perspective, and it really is quite eye-opening that not everybody uses birth control for pregnancy prevention. You can use birth control, hormonal and non-hormonal, for a whole suite of reasons. And that's what I find is super cool about it all. Um, we need to find a better name for it than birth control. But <laughs> <laughs> I think people using birth control, it should be a conversation between you and your partner, but a penis owner and a vulva owner, I think should share in that conversation and figure out what works for you. You know, you might not be in a long-term relationship and, you know, that influences and changes the way that you approach your birth control plan. But I think everyone should be talking about it. Absolutely. Well, and the, the thing thing that's really important there too, is that we make the assumption that like, queer sex can't be reproductive sex. And you're like, no, as as long as there's any like opportunity where sperm can come in contact with an egg, that's how pregnancy can occur. So it's kind of regardless of sexual orientation or how we identify, queer sex can be reproductive sex. And like you said, there's so many reasons that people use 
birth control. Contraception isn't that better because it literally means stop the conception. But, you know, it's, it's something that we can use for lots of different reasons. So I love that. Which is actually leads me to the other question that so many people have asked. And, you know, my, my feminist rage kind of comes up in it a bit where it's like, are they developing birth control for uh, folks with penises? Is that something that's coming up other than condoms? So I'm on this new kick of normalizing vasectomies. <laughs> I love it. People who, who cannot see what's happening right now, Dallas literally like put her hands out like jazz hands, like vasectomies. <laughs> I'm like, you know, trying to start this up. I get um, mixed responses when I talk about it, which is fun to navigate in social situations. So back in, I think it was 2016, they did a study with a group of penis owners on a birth control option that would basically suppress the amount of sperm that was produced. And this, I believe, was like a injection or something. And that trial was cut short because the participants were complaining about side effects such as headaches, mood swings, and just overall irritability among a few other things, but those are the main ones. And so since then that I know of, if anybody else knows of any other trials, please let me know. That has been the one big and only trial for male contraception. And this is ridiculous because <laughs> this is like, if anybody has been listening this far in this conversation, like we have touched on so many side effects and things that women go through because it's been largely seen and expected that birth control is the uterus owner's responsibility because they are ultimately the ones that are bearing the brunt of the risk. You know, it takes two to tango, but <laughs> it, that's generally how it's perceived and it's frustrating and it shouldn't be this way. And it's just one of those other things that we need to come together collectively on and complain <laughs> like <laughs> you know have these conversations and ask for something better and have these conversations with the males and the penis owners in your life and be like what would you want I think it's like 50% of men would be open to taking a pill every day and 50% of their partners would trust them to take that pill every day. And that's a huge percentage of the population. Like, why are we not even just from a monetary perspective? Like, why aren't we? What? Totally. One of the things that I like get on when people are talking about like, whose responsibility is it? And I'm like, even though if you decide, you know, that for yourself, you choose, but if you're in a partnership, you decide maybe together what's going to work best. Even if it's the person with the vulva in the uterus who is taking that birth control, who is paying for it? Because I think that's an important conversation of saying this should be a shared responsibility. A hundred percent. So I was in a long-term committed relationship and we shared it. Like I was on the pill for majority of that time and we would pay every other month. As well, I got him to have multiple alarms on his phone. I had multiple alarms on my phone to share in that responsibility because, you know, we're all busy. My alarm would go off and be like, oh yeah, of course, take my birth control. I'll do that in one second. Let me just finish this email. And it like totally, you know, would fly off the shelf of my brain and I'd forget. And then once he started, like he would even send me a text and I'd be like, okay. 
And because that had that extra accountability and he would be like, did you take it yet? Did you take it? It's like, it, it was great. And I felt so supported and just like, it totally changed the dynamic for us and in a really positive way. You don't even have to be in a relationship. Like I love this idea of like, even in your girls group chat, like all of you, if you're a couple of you are on the pill, like take it at the same time. And just like, it's a great way to check in. (laughs) Exactly. Like checking in after work, being like, it's 5.30 time for the pill. Like Exactly. Exactly. It's like a gym buddy, but you know, your birth control buddy. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Oh, you're so right that we have covered so much ground. And I know that we'll release this and people will be like, but what about this? And what about this? And I think maybe that's the frustrating and exciting thing about it is that there's so much to say and know. And so much of that information is not readily accessible, or we don't know where to go to get those resources that are actually reliable and fact-based. And so I th- I really appreciate your your time. I think maybe the last thing that I'll ask you is, it's going to be a doozy. I'm so sorry. If you could leave people with kind of one piece of advice in terms of their own contraception journey, you know, what what would that be? Mm. Yeah, talk about a doozy, hey? <laughs> honestly I would say like own your own experience everyone's journey is so different and that's what is great about it in my opinion I think be curious ask questions and if you aren't comfortable if you're like hmm I'm not sure ask questions and continue to work and find what works for you again everyone's journey is unique and we need to pay attention to that. That would be like my own two cents. Just know that one, you're not alone, but also your journey is unique. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love you having there too. It's like, don't settle for a thing that you're like, "Mm, okay, like it's kind of working, right? Like, yeah, being really attuned to that journey and knowing, okay, like there are other options and hopefully we can find something that works the best. Totally. And like, even just from this conversation, like how many options did we touch on briefly, but like we talked about so many and we didn't, we just scratched the surface. It's wonderful. I think that we have lots of options. We need more. We still do. Mm-hmm. And we need better options, but what we have today, there are a bunch. And I think we can get really close for every individual to find an option that they are comfortable and confident using. And I think that's awesome. That's so fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Dallas. I know this is like, you're busy. You're an entrepreneur. Like it's, I can only imagine how bananas that must be. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I said at the beginning of this conversation, this, this is like my favorite thing to chat about. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to be here with you. So thank you for making this space to, yeah, hear me rant about birth control. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. On the next episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Farzana Doctor, who is a queer therapist, writer, and activist. Her most recent book, Seven, has gotten a lot of attention for its exploration of FGM, or female genital mutilation, in South Asian and Muslim communities, and I am so honored to have her on the show. Now, if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send a voice message to me on Instagram at dr.leatidy. 
Now, even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual. 